Hello, welcome to This Week in the ACC. This is your one of your co-hosts, Jeff. Um, you can find me at Talking ACC Sports. Uh, our moderator, Matthew, is back with us again. You can find him on Twitter at HokieSmash underscore ASD. And this is the podcast for AllSportsDiscussion.com. We have a great guest for you tonight. And I'm going to turn it over to Matthew as we jump into the podcast. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, welcome to this week in the, C- in the ACC. This is the podcast for AllSportsDiscussion.com. This is the longest running podcast in the United States. And joining us tonight, we have an awesome guest in Brett, Brett Ciencia, who launched Pick six previews in 2012, and over those 10 seasons, it's been a decade now, his magazine has been rated the most accurate Power 5 preview, college football preview in America by Stassen. They're a great ratings organization. The 2022 book just launched and is available at pick6previews.com or on Twitter at at pick6previews. That's where you can find, find Brett at at pick six previews at p a c k s i x p r e v e v i e w s i'm sorry again this is a just a just an outstanding publication it is must read it's been endorsed by chris by uh chris Folica from college game day who says that picks pick six previews is one of those magazines and one of those literary efforts that you have to get that you must read and we're happy to have brett on our show again tonight so brett welcome back to the all sports discussion acc podcast i certainly gave you a brief preview here of of your content that we just love following up on twitter and we love the mag well love the magazine we've written about it every year at allsportsdiscussion.com we're happy you're back. Welcome back. Is there anything specific that you want to plug about about your about your ma- your magazine? The floor is yours, Brad. Thanks for coming back. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. I'm Matthew and Jeff. Uh, this is probably our fourth or maybe fifth straight season talking ACC football in the preseason. I love coming on every year. Love what you guys do with your podcast. I've been tuning in for years. I like the guests you bring in, going school by school, uh, and then during the season is great content. So, congrats on that. Keep up the great work. And, and yeah, so this year is the 11th annual preseason book that I put out. The first 10 years, it was all digital only. It was PDFs. It was online websites. But now here in 2022, I finally brought together a hard copy edition uh, for, for the readers there. You get the hard copy pa- paperback magazine along with the digital copy as usual. So uh, exciting times. I shipped them all out. It was like a UPS shipping facility here over here at Pick 6 Previews. But uh, excited to get that first round out. It's still available at pick6previews.com. And, uh, and yeah, really excited to break down a competitive conference this year, the ACC. I was happy to get mine. I have mine here. I'm still going through it. I'm going through it chapter by chapter as I also do my graduate school thesis. So I, I, I know it's outstanding work. And I'm going to, as I said, I'm going to write a very favorable review about it here pretty soon. And oh, put, thank you. Yes, absolutely. So. Here we are, man. I mean, this is the year of change, right? In the coastal, right? There are a lot of new coaches that in the coastal division in the ACC. I want, we want to get your brief thoughts on the hires at Virginia Tech, Duke, and Miami. Go time, Brett. 
Yeah, it really is a conference of change, and really it's a sport of change, the way that you see the, the coaching carousel, yes, but then the transfer portal roster movement, and now we see this wave of conference realignment beckoning again. We'll get to that later, uh, maybe at my open mic at the very end. But, um, but yeah, as it pertains to these three head coaches, I had a chance to talk to two of them uh, as part of my research for my book. I spoke with Virginia Tech's Brent Pry and, uh, and Duke's uh, Mike Elko, the new former defensive coordinators taking over as first-time Power 5 head coaches. So exciting things there. Miami brings in a very experienced guy, Mario Cristobal, uh, who won multiple conference titles up at Oregon turned Oregon from a gadgety offense, you know, a speed spread offense into a really physical offensive line, a, a tough front seven and an ace recruiter. So he's back. He's back. I say back because it's his alma mater at Miami. He's down at some fertile recruiting grounds down there. I think the sky's the limit for that program finally after they've made that financial commitment and that real recommitment to football. But, but real quick on the two coaches I did get to talk to, uh, Brent Pry, he um, you know, he wants to recommit to uh, recruiting in-state, really wants to build that Virginia pipeline back up. You know, it used to be under the Frank Beamer, the early Beamer era. They were bringing in, you know, almost uh, 50, I think it was 50 or 60% of the blue chippers from in-state. That number tanked under Justin Fuente. So uh, the goal is to bring back the in-state pipeline and, and bring over his trademarked attacking defense that he had so much success with at Penn State. He was a great interview, a great guy. Uh, and then Mike Elko, similarly a defensive ace. Uh, he's had success all over the place, A&M, Notre Dame, Wake Forest. I think the more uh, comparable experience actually comes from that Wake Forest uh, uh, role that he had about a decade ago, um, taking Wake Forest, who is not really the best recruiter on the block, similar uh, disadvantages and advantages that Duke has, and uh, making a competent defense. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited for both guys. They were, they were excellent uh, interviewers, great with their time and uh, hope for the best for both of them. Outstanding, outstanding. Just one follow-up, right, from a Homer perspective here. Did you get the sense that Brent Fry kind of fits the culture that Virginia Tech's looking for, Brett? He's going to fit in perfectly. I mean, you can tell he loves the area, he loves the fans, um, and he, he loves Virginia high school prospects too. He had a lot of success recruiting them while at Penn State. And, um, you know, once he took over Virginia Tech, he was mentioning some of the top in-state Virginia guys that he started to interview now as a Hokie. They had been to Penn State to visit him before they'd been to Blacksburg. So he's really motivated to get that fixed. He also wants to bring back the alumni. He realizes the importance of that. So, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, you could tell he loves this place, and I think it's going to be a great fit. Outstanding. Outstanding. Jeff, you're up, buddy. All right. Thanks. You, thank you, Matthew. Uh, Brent, how much – time do you think mac brown has at unc and for that matter you know are these show me years for mike norvell at florida state and jeff halfley at boston college well first with with mac brown there i think that he's bought himself a longer leash than usual for two reasons one being he already has he's a he's a national champion head coach i think he has a little bit more leeway than an up-and-comer you know he's proven it on the highest scale of the game uh, but secondly and, and more relevant to his time at unc is just his his success on the recruiting trail it's um, they're hitting all-time highs. It's now three straight top 20 classes. Last year, number 11 nationally. That's just unheard of for UNC, a program that historically recruits outside the top 30. So um, stacking great recruiting classes. I think they're still a younger roster. So I think that each time he signs one of these top 10, top 20 caliber classes, he's buying himself another year or two down the road because you want to see the fruits of his labor come to life. All these great blue chippers, you want to give them enough time to, to really – come together. Now, I think he made a great hire with Gene Chizik on defense. He's going to fix that defense up. Uh, I still think they're a year or two away from contending. Um, but no, I think that I think he's I think he's fine there at UNC. Uh, your other one, Jeff Halfley, I, I agree there, too, that 
Um, he's not, he has no pressure on with BC. They, they love him up there. Um, and I think that BC fans and alumni, they realize that the season got derailed last year a bit when Phil Dracovic got injured. The offense absolutely tanked. Uh, they would have had a much better win-loss record. So, um, no, they love him up there. I think Halfley's fine. The, the one that may have some, some heat on him from the boosters and the alumni, it might be Mike Norvell at Florida State. Just the, the way that they started last, she, last season going 0-4, losing to FCS Jacksonville State. Now, granted, they did improve from that point on. They were growing week by week. They surged at the end, at least defensively. And, um, but, yeah, of the three, I'd say that Norvell has some pressure on him. All right, Brett. What are you thinking of Scott Satterfield's tenure at, at Louisville? Um, he's fallen behind in the Atlantic. He's, he's arguably no better than fourth in that division. He's definitely fallen behind Kentucky, his in-state rival. But he, he's red hot in recruiting uh, this spring and summer, which has kind of opened open some eyes here. Um, yeah, what are you thinking of Satterfield? Well, this is interesting because um, whenever I go on Louisville radio shows or Louisville Sports Live and, and 93.7, the, the Drive with Ethan Moore, all those guys, I, I feel like I have a disconnect from their fan base because statistically and when you watch Louisville, I love their offense. They're productive. They're balanced. They're one of the only offenses in the country that puts up 200-plus rush yards, 200-plus pass yards uh, every game on average for three years now, I think it is. So uh, I think they're an, an incredibly productive, explosive offense. Now, with that said, they've had some turnover problems, especially on defense, lack of takeaways. They're, they're struggling to get the ball back. So a lot of these one-score, you know, one close-margin games have flipped the wrong way. So my numbers grade him better than I think the average Louisville fan does. So when I go on their shows and compliment the guy, I get some tweets back at me, you know, calling me crazy. But um, I, I like what he's done there, and I want to give him a couple more years. In fact, I think this offense might be one of the best in the country this year. The offensive line's all back. They graded highly in, in both of my offensive line metrics, run push and pass pro, uh, and you have Malik Cunningham there. So give him another year. I think this offense is going to be special this year. Okay. Um, Brett, talk about the impressive jobs done by Dabo Sweeney at Clemson. You know, obviously building up the program, two national titles. But I think last year, after the, uh, I think, four and three start, um, you know, he, he put together one of his best coaching jobs, I think, of his tenure to – to finish 10 and three, blowing out South Carolina, beating a pretty decent Iowa State team in a bowl. And then also Dave Clawson at Wake Forest, who we still don't think gets enough national credit for the job he's done. And, and quite frankly, Dave Dorn has really put together some good things at NC State. And, you know, we can definitely say on this podcast three or four years ago, we were saying, hey, this guy is on the hot seat. And now he's got a team that some are calling uh, a possible dark horse candidate for the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of great coaching jobs in this conference, in this division. And, you know, going through, it's a one-man show over here, Pick 6 Previews. I do all 66 Power 5 teams, all five leagues, and all the divisions. So uh, I can compare across divisions here. And, and this year for 2022, the Atlantic, especially the, the upper tier of the Atlantic, was one of the hardest to forecast and predict one through five or, you know, one through seven, really, top to bottom in, in the division. It's really crowded. A lot of above-average great teams. Uh, yeah, starting with Dabo Sweeney, I mean, en enough has been said over the last decade of what a dynasty he's built. I think everyone knows the story by now. It's been incredible coordinator hires, but also coordinator retention. He's kept those guys for so long. Now you start to see some change. You see Brent Venables moving on. Um, now you, you go through a run with, without an NFL first-round quarterback after having Deshaun Watson for those three seasons and Trevor Lawrence. It was perfect quarterback play. Now you're seeing, okay, without an NFL first-rounder, how's that going to go? And um, so I think they're in for a transition year here. Their defense remains elite, even without Venables. 
Um, you know, one of the best defensive lines in the country, if not number one. It's drawing 2018 Clemson comparisons. Those Power Rangers, that defensive line, they called it. Um, it, it it's going to be a tough defense to go against, but offensively really held them back last year. So, yeah, I think enough. Everyone knows the Dabo story by now. Incredible coach, incredible leader. Um, Dave Clawson, yeah, a little bit more under the radar, not getting enough national pub. I think that last year's Atlantic Division title and school record for wins, they were in the spotlight a lot last year. I think that he started to get some respect that he deserved. Um, so, you know, my hats are off to what he's built. His claw fence, as they call it, the, the, the Clawson offense, can, continues to be explosive and puts up a ton of points every year. So, um, yeah, look for them again. But here's my point now with Wake and NC State and that discussion, trying to rank these teams. I think that Wake Forest hit their ceiling last year, and, and that's, you know, again, my hats are off. That's an incredible ceiling. I think they hit their peak. NC State, I think, is now going to hit that here in 2022. Wow, they were top five in my defensive metrics. They bring everyone back on defense. And then on offense, you bring back a quarterback, Devin Leary. You put up 30 touchdowns to just five picks. Very efficient. So, um, you know, Wake, I'm, I think, might take a step back in the win column while NC State surges up the ladder. And I actually forecasted NC State to win the division. All right. Yeah, we're gonna definitely have to watch out for NC State this year. All right, Brett, we're going to call this next round our lightning round. We're going to go through a, a series of, of um, ACC and national questions. So let's start with uh, which ACC coaches are on the hot seat right now. And I got a feeling you're going to mention somebody from Atlanta, maybe someone from Syracuse. <laughs> Well, um, well, yeah, hot, the, the hot seat question's tough. I mean, I, I'm in talks with a lot of the head coaches, a lot of the coordinators, more so than ever this year. Uh, so that was a great experience. So I guess to rephrase it, you know, who has a tough year, Connor? Who has some pressure on them? Um, I think you start with Georgia Tech, with Jeff Collins. Um, now you got to put, put himself into the context. I mean, three years ago, he took over one of the biggest transitions in Power 5 history, going from a triple option, flex bone, uh, Paul Johnson program, trying to modernize into not only just modern offense, but modern recruiting games. So uh, an incredible undertaking that he took on. I really thought the stars were going to align for him last year. It was year three, a very veteran roster. He had a, a returning quarterback, Jameer Gibbs, an All-American candidate now for this season. Of course, he's, he's in Tuscaloosa, unfortunately. But I thought the stars aligned really last year, and they, they actually got worse. So um, you know, now you, you get the double whammy of it's a tougher schedule and all those veterans are gone, and they got poached by the transfer portal. So um, it's really tough. When you look at their schedule, they could really improve, but still have a losing record. Uh, so I, I, I would start there. I don't think so about D uh, Dino Babers at Syracuse. I think they love him up there. They, they had some success last year. They uh, produced an All-American running back, Sean Tucker. Their defense really improved under Tony White. I got to interview him. Great dude. And um, I think they're in for an improvement this year, possibly their first bowl in a long time. Uh, or I should say second bowl in a long time. They made it in 2018. Uh, yeah, so I would throw those two. We already hit on Norvell. I think he's just got more pressure given the size and scope of that program, how big a fan base, how, um, you know, how dominant their boosters are down there. So those would be the three. And I know right. that it's lightning round. I, I went way overboard on the lightning round. No, no, you take as much time as you need. Um, all right, who do you have as your ACC Coastal winner? With the Coastal this year, it came down to Miami and Pitt for me. Pittsburgh's a very proven product, uh, and when I talk to coaches and coordinators, they all bring up Pitt's physicality, and, and you see that. It's a very attacking front seven. They usually lead the country in tackles for loss or sacks, and they do have Kalijah Kansi coming back, an All-American D lineman. But uh, offensively, I have questions. They lose their Heisman candidate, Pickett. They got poached uh, with their Bolitnikoff winner, Addison, leaving, 
And the brains of the operation, Mark Whipple's gone. He's uh, coordinating for Nebraska now. So I think a transition, despite having eight returning starters, I mean, the two key ones are gone. And uh, But more so, it's more pro-Miami. I still have pit my top 20 nationally. It's more pro-Miami. What Mario Cristobal did overnight, historically the logic is, okay, great head coach hire. It's going to take two or three seasons to reshape the roster. But that's the old logic. Nowadays, he comes in, he landed five different starting defenders off Power 5 rosters right away. So that defense is rebuilt. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke started to emerge as one of the conference's best quarterbacks. So I had Miami winning the Coastal. All right. Who do you have as your ACC Atlantic winner? Yeah, with the Atlantic, I kind of teased this. Um, The national consensus is to pick Clemson there uh, and then also to pick Clemson to the playoff. I'm going a little bit against the grain. I'm going NC State. Uh, This this should be their best team in school history, the way that uh, the media are hyping it up. But not just the media hype. When you look statistically, I, I already touched on that defense one of the best in the country last year, but it was very injured, meaning that backups, young guys still performed well, and now everyone's back healthy. So that defense will be, you know, the, the rock of the team. Um, on offense, they do lose a couple, you know, the, the running back duo is gone, um, but they still have some great talent at receiver, and I already hit on Leary there at quarterback. So I really like NC State. I love their coordinators. I like Doran. He, he's also really motivated after last year with that bowl game canceled. I mean, he was on fire. I really wanted him to get that 10th win or at least a chance to get the 10th win, but uh, that was taken away by a bull cancel. So I have NC State coming out of the Atlantic. All right. And, and who do you see in your ACC championship game? Yeah, Winning so that with, one? with those, it'll be, it would be then NC State versus Miami. And, um, you know, I, I, it's hard to forecast that game out here that far away, that specific matchup. But those are my two division winners. In terms of national rankings, I have NC State in my top 10. I have them 7th. Um, while I have Miami a little bit further down at 16. So going off of the preseason rankings, I, I'd go NC State over Miami in a close one. Okay. Uh, and then who do you have as your four college football playoff teams? The playoff this year, it, there's two superpower programs, really, with Alabama and Ohio State. Uh, first with Alabama, you bring back the Heisen winner, Bryce Young, the best defender, Will Anderson, five stars everywhere, and also some revenge factor from Saban, which is rare. Uh, the way they lost to A&M on the field, the way they lost to A&M on signing day. It's been a bitter offseason. They're ready to roll. They're number one to me. Number two is Ohio State. We saw their offense last year. They were the number one offense in the country. And they look poised to do that again for a second straight year with C.J. Stroud back, Travion Henderson at running back, an All-American candidate, the deepest receiver core in the country. So I think they're going to duplicate that on offense. The question for them is can they improve that defense? They bring a lot of uh, returning production back. And they made a great coordinator switch, bringing in Jim Knowles from Oklahoma State. So complete team. I think it's one, Alabama, two, Ohio State. I put Georgia third just on the fact of how they recruit the last couple of years. We saw how incredible that defense was um, winning the national title, really leading the charge to a national title. Yes, they, they lost a lot of draft picks. But when you watch Georgia and when you look at their snap counts, it's not just 11 guys that are out on the field every snap on defense. They rotate more than anybody. They have so many five-star bodies. They have situational roles and situational players. So it might not look like returning starters on paper. Uh, they're, they're just next year's first-round picks. You know what I mean? So they're, they're going to be in there too. The fourth spot was wide open. When you look at it nationally, most went Clemson. I thought the ACC is going to be more competitive at the top. I think the, you know, it's a lot of solid top 25 teams that are going to be knocking each other out. I looked at Utah in the Pac-12, a more manageable conference slate, and uh, really started to hit their peak last uh, November, December. They smoked Oregon twice, went toe-to-toe with Ohio State, and they bring the whole team back. So uh, I went with Utah in the the, uh, controversial fourth spot there. 
All right. And uh, I didn't have this question on, on a lightning round, but you've been kind of uh, alluding to this all through our podcast. Do, do you think this is the best the ACC has been from, from uh, you know, across the board in terms of quality teams since, since I would say maybe 2016? I, I definitely answer yes for the Atlantic division. This Atlantic division is crowded at the top. You have division contenders with Clemson and NC State. Wake Forest is the defending champ, and I have them all the way down at fifth in the division. It's hard to believe. I see a lot of potential from Louisville's offense, Florida State's defense. If those guys can find counterparts on the other side of the ball, they're complete teams. Syracuse, too. I mean, we talked on the job Tony White has done on defense, an All-American running back. BC down there at seven. Um, it's hard to put anybody last. I mean, they're going to be strong themselves. So I'd say it's the best Atlantic we've seen in a long time. The Coastal might still be a year away because you have a lot of coaching transition there. Virginia Tech, Virginia, Duke, all going through transitions. Um, and then UNC might still be a year away given their talent, their younger blue chip talent. So uh, Atlantic, yes. Coastal, let's talk next year. It could be the best Coastal ever next year. Uh, and that is assuming that – actually, right as I'm talking, I'm thinking out loud, I think the divisions are gone next year. So this might be the last time we have our Atlantic versus Coastal discussion, the way they're going one through 14 round robin or whatever you call it next year. So it, it's been a weird year for, for pick six previews in the book. Uh, a little nostalgic going through these conference races one last time before Fox and ESPN take the hammer to our sport. So it's, it's a shame. All right. I hear you, Matthew. I'm going to turn it over to you as we uh, close out for our open mic segment. So uh, I, I thought it was pretty good that you said Utah for your, your uh, one of your four college football teams because, uh, and Jeff, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think, and, and you too, Brett, but I think if we go all the way back to the BCS and even the, right, the Alliance and even probably before that to the New Year's Days Bulls, if you, the, when that, when that, I should say, when that determined the national title, like whoever paid, played New Year's Day, we're talking really old school here, right? If you had an undefeated team in the uh, in, uh, in, that was Power Five, they were never left out of the national title game, and in this case, or some sense of playoff, and that may be the case there with Utah. Is that correct, Brett? Um, in terms of undefeated teams left out of of contention, while well, it's tough, uh, back with that first alliance, the Big Ten had their own contract with the Rose Bowl, which. Uh, which avoided some great one versus two matchups. It would have been Nebraska versus Penn State in 94, but Penn State had to go play Oregon in the Rose Bowl again with Nebraska versus Penn, Big Ten's Michigan in 97. Uh, Michigan was contracted to the Rose Bowl, so we, we missed a one versus two there. In terms of undefeateds missing the national title access or, or a chance to win a title, it had right. to be Auburn in 2004, where uh, back in the BCS, it was one versus two. They were stuck at number three, unfortunately, behind two undefeated. So extremely rare in the BCS era. That's right. happened one time in, in what, 18 years. Um, right. So here with, with Utah, no, I think that they can go uh, even 12 and one and, and make it to the playoff. We've only seen one one loss power five champ miss the playoffs, and it was Ohio State after being blown out by Purdue a couple seasons ago. So uh, it's, very, it's like 95% likely a, a one loss power five champ makes the bracket. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's uh, we both, we all learn something on all sports discussion. Okay. Yeah. You're a wealth of knowledge. You're a wealth of knowledge. Yeah, sorry. I could go on and on about the history of the sport. I mean, <laughs> this is not lightning round anymore. I'm sorry oh, no, to the listeners, okay. but that's I could okay. go no, big time history. Yeah. Don't apologize. Take all the time you want, man. That wasn't, that was just me 
going on, going off on a tangent on another question here. So yeah, I love it. <laughs> so we're about to close the podcast here with an open microphone segment, man. I mean, the floor is yours. This is anything that you want to say, Brett, and 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 you can take all the time you want saying it. No, yeah. Well, first off, on open mic, thanks again to you guys for for all the ACC coverage you guys do. Uh, the guests you bring on, thanks to each and every one of them for their insights on their teams or conference wide. Uh, thanks for the the endorsements, the retweets, the the likes on Twitter, the messages. Uh, it, it's been great. So uh, I, I feel like we've kind of grown together the last ten years uh, doing our your podcast, my book. So uh, congrats over there. Open mic will be short. I just want to quickly touch on the conference realignment topic. I, I know that. Um, you know, it hasn't really struck the ACC too hard yet in this latest wave, although you hear the rumors every day of, you know, Clemson or UNC or Florida State, Miami, even UVA a target. Um, really a shame overall. And, you know, for those specific uh, colleges, it could be lucrative, might make a lot of money for their programs and their universities. But as a whole, you know, as a third party member here, just watching the sport and covering it, I really do hate the conference realignment. It's no longer about regions or regionality. It's just become a, a TV race, a TV arms race. Um, really, the thing that put me over the edge was the USC-UCLA combo going to the Big Ten. You're talking about Rutgers, who's right there on the, on the Atlantic Ocean, going cross-country to play UCLA right there in L.A. on the Pacific Ocean. It's a joke. Um, but, uh, again, nothing new from college sports. It's really gone the money way. Um, but, uh, yeah, just to rant a little bit there on the open mic, I just love the rivalry of it, the traditions, the regionality. And when you start to, you know, every, every wave of conference realignment, you lose a little bit more of that sliver of what makes college football unique. So hate to see it. Let's enjoy it while we still have the, the historic sport we are used to. And you know what, for the optimists out there, yeah, maybe it still turns out great, but I know what we have now is special and I hate to risk it. So um, as that pertains to the ACC audience, again, not too much change this year, but um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of rambling at this point, but thank you again for having me on. And I think we're in for a very exciting ACC race. It's, it's crowded at the top. I think I have, uh, what is this, six teams in the top 30. So, uh, you know, really crowded conference, a quarterback conference too. That was probably one of the hardest picks in the whole book was trying to come up with just two all-conference quarterbacks. So we're in for a lot of points, a lot of excitement in the ACC. And uh, to everyone out there, enjoy. Outstanding take, Brett. Outstanding take. And before we go to Jeff, I'll just say quickly, I know we're, we're both, we're, we're all students of history on this podcast tonight, and it is kind of cool to see Virginia Tech and Pitt both play West Virginia this year. I do love that. Oh, absolutely. Bringing back the, the backyard brawl, uh, the Black Diamond Trophy. Absolutely. I mean, anytime you can get these conference, uh, old, old conference rivals together, it's special. In fact, one of the games I'm heading out to on a road trip this year is Nebraska-Oklahoma, which is... Of course, a historic rivalry, two blue blood programs. It, it peaked in the Big 8 and the Big 12 back in the day. But then uh, with Nebraska moving away to the Big 10 and eventually Oklahoma to the SEC, even one layer further, that, that, that rivalry got destroyed. So I want to go see it one last time. Um, who knows when they'll match up again? Outstanding. You're going to enjoy that trip, and they will treat you, they will treat you well on your, ro on your road trip. Jeff, you're up, buddy. All right, thanks, Matthew. Um, you know, Brett kind of kind of touched on it, and we could talk about you know realignment for for an hour on this podcast. But you know, the Twitter timeline has just been filled up with with Pac-12 media and fans tangling with Big 12 uh, media and fans and going back and forth. Um, 
you know, arguing with each other about which conference has more value. And, and you're kind of watching it from afar if you're in the, the ACC. But, I mean, all three of the conferences are in the same position. I mean, it's like splitting hairs if you're having that argument. Um, you know, the Pac-12 loses its two of its big, its biggest brand and, and UCLA, arguably one of its bigger brands. Uh, the Big 12 losing Oklahoma and Texas la- last year. And like Brett said, you know, the ACC hadn't quite been touched by that yet. But I mean, they have their revenue issues that we've talked uh, a lot about that they've got to sort out. So, I mean, you got three conferences just trying to, you know, make it into the, the next cycle here of college football and get through the playoffs. And, and yeah, my open mic is I'm, um, the, the, the Pac-12 and the Big 12 going back and forth about who's more value, just, just let it go. We're all three in, in trying to make it to the next cycle, raise revenue, find a way there. Um, you know, if you're trying to say who's third at this point, uh, you're not really saying much. So someone has to do something really significant out of the three, including the ACC, to, to really set themselves apart. And, and doing it right now is just kind of taking up space on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Def, definitely, Jeff, definitely. Uh, I'm just going to use my open microphone tonight to say that I, I we really enjoy having you come on here to, on this show, Brad, because you're an outstanding, yes. classy, knowledgeable guest. And we just want to make sure that, like, when you get that, when you get that show on, X, on Sirius XM Radio, that you maybe have us on for 10 minutes when that happens for you, because we, oh, absolutely. We, see, we see that in your future, not too far from now where you're going to get that sort of show and that sort that sort of publicity and, and because, and, and have us on for 10 minutes and we'll, we'll talk ACC sports with you when you get that show. Oh, for sure. And I mean, of course, uh, thank you guys too, because you were one of the first shows to bring me on. I remember it was maybe 2017 or 2018 as I was starting to do more radio podcasts, you were the first ACC guys to bring me in. So yeah, I'll never forget that. And uh, the respect is mutual for what you guys have built. And yeah, I mean, Hey, that'd be a great end game. So let's, uh, we'll keep going year by year and see where that takes us. Very good. Very good. Cause we see, we see big, we see big things for you, man. We see big things for you. Thanks again for coming on the all sports discussion, ACC podcast. We loved having you come on the show, Brett, and we'd love to have you come on later during the year. Of course. Anytime, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Have a great week, guys. Take care.